0: Hi there, I'm Valérie Gras and you are listening to Textures. Texture is a podcast about art, design, and entrepreneurship. In each episode, I chat with artists, designers, creators, and innovators, the people who add textures to our world. In each episode, you will meet with creative minds, discover their world, their work, and how they made it happen. Architecture is an informal and open conversation about living and leading a creative life. Today, I'm meeting with Madison and Mark Talley, owners and founders of Toll, an architecture firm based in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Both Mark and Madison received a degree in architecture from Mississippi State. After graduation, Mark decided to work for a corporate architecture firm, while Madison, took a different approach as a professional artist for an international lifestyle brand. From there, Madison and Mark started their own firm while living in an Airstream trailer. It's a pretty cool approach as you will listen to. This episode is a little bit longer than others, but I promise it works for listen. So hi, Madison and Mark. Hi, Valerie. Hello. Thank you for
1: accepting my invitation for being on picture podcast well thank you so much for having us we're really excited to talk to you today
2: yeah so when we initially met you you sent out a tentative invitation and we're very happy to accept it when the final one came in
1: so tell me about
0: toll and your philosophy behind your design you're an architect you're both architects i'm sorry
1: yeah no so um So we started our firm, Tall Architects, in uh, 2014. So we just celebrated our fifth anniversary, which was, we felt like quite a milestone. Um, And we had a party to celebrate and everything. But Mark and I had both been working for larger corporations, Mark for a larger architecture firm, and I was working for um, a larger, an international uh, lifestyle brand. We had always seen ourselves from the beginning as uh, owning a firm together. One day, we just didn't know that it would happen. About six months after we got married, and then you know, just a few years after graduating from school. Um, But the time felt right, and we had very little, you know, in the way of anything kind of holding us down or tethering us. So we we just decided to make the leap five years ago, with the understanding that um, if it didn't work out, we could just go get you know, jobs in a firm. And and so we didn't feel like we had a ton to lose if we did it. We felt we had a ton to lose if we didn't kind of take the leap.
2: To add to that, I had spent several years in a very corporate commercial environment designing everything from large municipal buildings to retail spaces to several hospitals, office buildings, stuff like that. Stuff that a lot of architects and young interior designers work on every day. And um, it's a very different experience than what you're taught in school. Uh, It's rather crushing in some ways. And Madison at the time, she wasn't doing traditional architecture, but she was building these amazing, fantastic, huge sculptures, like giant elephants and air balloons and just these wonderfully wacky things. And um, she seemed at the time, right before we started our firm, to almost feel like she wanted a more realistic approach. And at the same time, I was completely dead with very realistic things and so we decided that well if we combined what we've learned up until that point into a business that we had imagined that we could create a business where we could do realistic fantastic interesting things and five years from there we feel like we've been fairly successful in doing that
0: so you both met at school you went to the same architecture school
1: We did. Yes. So we both went to, um, Mississippi state and we both studied architecture. Um, Mark graduated a year ahead of me and we didn't actually end up, um, dating until I had already moved to Baton Rouge and Mark found a job down there, moved down there. Um, we stayed there for about three years. We got married while we were there. Um, and then we decided that, uh, a move seemed right and you know we were looking at various places to move and ocean springs which is where we currently are located just ended up being a great fit for us so mark mentioned that
0: you were building amazing crazy things so can you tell us about your uh you were a professional artist for international lifestyle brand
1: sure so um so like i was saying after school i I just did not really want to sit behind a desk all day. That was something that just didn't appeal to me. It has never been my mentality. I'm much more of a hands-on person. So I started looking around for some different ways to use my architecture degree. And something I stumbled across was... um, the company Anthropology, they always have these amazing installations, these art installations, in their stores, and I had always wondered who did that kind of thing. And it's a, a position called a display coordinator. I ended up interviewing for it, and I landed um, at the Anthropology in Baton Rouge. And I think what that did for me was it sort of fulfilled that um, hands-on creativity that need that I had to really get my hands dirty and get in there and I think what it did for our firm you know after we started that was that that hands-on you know tactile building with my hands has sort of stuck with us so we still do a decent amount of you know model building and uh, product testing and things like that you know pulling different things together so that is something that if I feel like I'm in a design rut, I can always kind of go back to the hands on approach, and, and that always makes me feel a little better.
2: And as a, a person who was adjacent to her while she was doing that, she was doing things that most people in design school or art school do with their hands, and they're very creative. And it just every day you go to school is, is a, it's a flourish of creativity, and then you get out and it's very rarely like that most projects, you know, there's a small bit of time where there's a crazy amount of creativity. And then it, in a lot of places it, it crawls to technical stuff. And it just seemed that I was missing that tragically. And so it seemed that if we combined, we could, like Madison said, take the very technical things, which make a project really good uh, and combine them with those crazy flourishes of energy that you often find in schools so that's why we've built our business in an academic way where if we want to build a giant model just to see what like say a chair would look like or say an interior space would look like if it's going to make the project better what we'll do
0: yeah I, I totally agree with you because when i was at school i mean I, it was a long time ago <laughs> uh i actually I. Uh, in my school, we were the last uh, class graduating. At that time, we had no computer, no CAD. I mean, that yeah. was <laughs> a long time ago. That the day. You know, drawing by hand was great. We did a lot of modeling and it helped a lot. So, when I see you guys making modeling, a uh, model, I don't know exactly with this model of modeling you <laughs> yeah. I think it's really um, helpful, not only for the creator, but for the client. It's just, you understand so many things understand the balance of things how things interact together structures i mean this is vital and yes having you know um 3d software is great but i think it will never replace um, the model not modeling sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) well so we we totally agree and um it's not something i think big larger firms you know they still do a decent amount of models because they have you know they have staff to do it. Um, smaller firms, it's something that kind of gets overlooked because, you know, we just tend not to have time to do it, but it's something we've made time to do. Um, and we've seen immense payoff. You know, we take those um, those models to different meetings. We take them to the site if it's necessary. We talk to clients and contractors and About them. So, um, and another thing is like we just like being surrounded by them in our office. They make us feel like I think we're a little more connected to the architecture that we're working on. And um, they're a good talking point for people to, you know, to kind of see physically what how a project morphs as it moves along.
2: And and I think people have, at least in this region, the perspective that when you show a, a model of a building, it's of a cute, quaint house. And while we have We build models for a lot of our very intricate, unique houses. We've had just as much, if not more, success for commercial buildings. Whether it's conveying it to a client or conveying it to a potential contractor, or just taking it out on a job site and analyzing, you know, well maybe, maybe it's not a good idea to make it look this way. Maybe the entry really needs to be over here. And while we do every type of digital modeling as well, we we use the most cutting edge digital modeling it's just an additional aspect to the physical model everything is just a tool to make the best final product
0: yes now you two are a partner in life and in business so how do you uh, manage do you work on all you collaborate on all aspects of a business together or do you have favorite part um you know is there any area that you cover and madison and mark covers how does it work mm
1: we set out initially to be a team, um, on every aspect of every project. That's not always the most realistic, um, way a project needs to, you know, sort of move, but we start a project together always. Um, so schematically it's always both of us, you know, we each bring kind of our, um, are strong suits to that schematic design, but we are always together with it in the beginning. As a project moves along, Mark definitely takes on um, a more detailed and technical side of a project, and I kind of uh, really enjoy the conceptual side of a project, so I think, and you know, I, I delve into the details as well, but but it's a bit different, so we we kind of split those, so I've really enjoy the interiors a lot and kind of how all the parts and pieces work and Mark really enjoys the big picture and then delving into you know those details about how to make the most beautiful um, moments happen within you know those different uh, building materials coming together within those different construction techniques coming together and I think that really speaks to kind of our our paths straight from school in that we could not be doing what we're doing if Mark hadn't taken that technical path. You know, I mean, I I just don't believe that there would be an option. And I also think we couldn't be doing what we're doing if I hadn't gone in a more conceptual direction. So we still sort of um, maintain those, those pieces, I would say, those kind of specialties as we move through a project. But once again, very involved together in the beginning. Mark definitely wraps up a project more than i do kind of in the end phases and then once it's in construction we're both super involved as far as um you know site visits and things like that so construction administration we each love and
2: as our office grows and continues to grow and projects grow in size and budget and complexity you know all those uh generic ideas kind of get fuzzy so as in well, because we have more people involved, whether it's employees or engineers or different types of clients or cities, you know, those schematic ideas and conceptual ideas, they kind of they get uh, just fuzzier. But, but the idea is that we're both very big components of the big idea, the concept. And then somewhere along that path, Madison is an expert in planning, so typically she is much better at putting all the pe- puzzle pieces together. Uh, and Mark's
1: she, much better at pulling it all together in the end and making sure we can actually build it. So she, <laughs> right. she doesn't,
2: doesn't like to admit it, but she, she is inherently much better at putting all the little jigsaw puzzle pieces together and making them holistic. And after that phase uh, of being like a sounding board for that, we then come back together to make sure all the little technical parts come together. And at that, at the very end, especially in construction, Madison's understanding about materials from her days of building gigantic art pieces on the field or in final drawings, it is a, an undeniable piece that makes all of our projects richer, that she can see things and how they're gonna go together and the way they're gonna age and the colors and uh, whether we're going for a super, a super subtle approach or whether we're going for high contrast, she can see things that other people can't see.
1: And I would say that Mark definitely pushes us to go bolder at times, you know, so I can be a bit more restrained um, as far as colors and materials. And, and Mark is really willing to kind of push that punchiness, which I think we need on all of our projects. So um, it's, you know, it took us, I would say a solid three years to get where we felt like we had a good handle on how to tackle projects together. But now, you know, we talk about, well, if we were to go into a, Another firm, a traditional architecture firm, um, I'm not sure we would each succeed because we, <laughs> we do, we really play off of each other in every part of the design.
0: So we're talking about your work, but maybe we can, because we cannot see anything on the podcast, if you can just define your style and your aesthetic in your architecture work.
1: Sure. Um, so we definitely lean towards the contemporary. Um, I think that scares a lot of people, but it just, to us, contemporary means something unique and different. It doesn't mean that it's cold or that it's, um, you know, it's something that hasn't been thought of before or that we're thinking of in a different way. So I would say our style is definitely um, anything that's different, anything that's unique, anything maybe you haven't seen before. You know, whenever we moved to the coast, to Ocean Springs specifically, people said, um, you know, I just don't think you'll find that many people wanting contemporary architecture. And that just hasn't been the case. Um, We found a great deal of people here who are kind of tired of the norm. And we just really enjoy pushing the limits as much as possible
2: and as much as we would like to think that we don't have a style since that's kind of the modern ideas that you design without a style um several people can clearly identify when we design things and it seems like we have developed a language about how we approach things which even though we try to fight it apparently we like it because you know we we carry these similar ideas through most projects but um, like Madison was saying, if we would group our, ourselves into uh, the contemporary vein, if you look at our projects, we use all different types of materials, mm-hmm. from metal to brick to stucco to plastic sometimes <laughs> to wood. I mean. yeah, so it's concrete. It's not about necessarily a certain material or a certain idea. I guess it's about having an understanding of we want the best product for the right site for the best client for the right budget um, and using the materials that seem to stand out at those moments.
1: I think just like the way Mark described it as having a language is something that we really have sort of cultivated over the past few years that um, has been pretty organic. You know, we haven't tried to force anything, but I do feel like we, we have certain, um, certain pieces of projects that we return to and kind of, you know, we love so much that we bring them into other projects as well. Yeah,
0: definitely as a style that stands out and you can, you don't want people to recognize that this is exactly your style. And don't right. right. But on the other hand, just uh, like we discussed the other day as well, uh, you can have one voice and you can sing right. rock mm-hmm. and roll or opera, <laughs> right. but you can still have the same voice. And I feel right. like... You can, and I see that on your on your work, you can definitely um, you're being you're being very audacious on on your work, and it really pays off.
1: Thank, okay. you. thank you,
0: thank you so much. So you mentioned all this material that you're exploring. You know, you try to find the. Uh, it's not about trend; it's about finding the right material for the right projects and just pushing the boundaries a little bit uh, each time. So how can you find all this um, material and collaboration? outside of your area because we mentioned you were in a small city how how do you how do you nourish your inspiration what feeds you
1: what feeds us um well I think you know this is obviously something that feeds most people but we travel a decent amount that's something that we uh we've kind of made sure to keep as part of our schedule we just build in (laughs) travel time, um, you know, that's another reason we said we weren't sure we could go back and work for other people is because we really like having that flexibility to travel for research or travel for a lecture or travel to see a project we're really excited about. Um, And I do think, you know, here on the coast, we are really fortunate in that our um, natural environment is so lush that we can also gain a lot of inspiration from that. So um here we may be a bit stunted as far as um material resources just because of where we are, but I think as far as natural resources, we have just a an overabundance and and we we really try to kind of pull on pull from that as well.
2: Um another thing that drives us both uh pretty intensely is reading. We we both read as much as we can in as many diverse ways as possible. And Uh, we I don't think either one of us ever limits subject matter whether it's um, like difficult or whether it's controversial or whether it's old or new Um, we both try to stay as up-to-date and diverse as we can I mean that um, because for us we've talked about this probably a thousand times we view reading as traveling and vice versa well you might not have time to go to Paris this week but you can read a book about Paris it's pretty easy Um, and I think between traveling and reading there are definitely more things that give us creative energy but those two are by far the most important
1: and even if it's not traveling you know uh, like a big a big trip a big grand you know Research trip or something. We enjoy just kind of taking day trips around here or heading over to New Orleans. I mean, we always feel recharged after those little kind of you know twenty-four hour moments where we're we're seeing something outside of our you know Ocean Springs or Coast Bubble. And, and to
2: add to that, over half of our projects are not in the little town that we chose to situate ourselves in. So. Whether it's going to another city to check on a project or stopping in a city between cities, uh, if we're going to a site visit or or meet a client, every time we land in another city or we eat at a different restaurant or we walk through a different arts market or something, all those things further drive the creativity that we're always after.
0: Yeah, so I want to talk about your project outside of Ocean Spring after and how you manage, but uh, let's talk about how you started and why you chose to be in this small city. Uh, Everyone thinks that you need to be in a big city in order to succeed as an architectural firm, but, you know, you're just proving us we're wrong. You're doing fantastic, and you enjoy the lifestyle of a small city.
1: Yeah, so we, um, you know, initially, we... We were looking at larger cities, we thought um, about kind of all of the quintessential architectural hubs, um, especially here in the States. And, you know, after researching a little bit, visiting some of those places and whatnot, we just realized that, um, number one, it was it would be really hard to situate ourselves there and afford the lifestyle that we wanted. Um, and number two, there were already architects in those areas doing the kind of work that we wanted to do. So we saw this area, um, Ocean Springs, This it's, it's a town of about um, 18,000 people. It's, it's very small. Um, we saw this as a Place that we could um, start our firm in a really affordable way, a place that we could kind of get ingrained in the community in a really speedy way. Um, and that has been absolutely true. And I think the, the third component was that we saw this as a hub, kind of our home base, and that we could definitely branch out from here um, in a really easy way. I mean, we've got New Orleans an hour and a half away, Jackson three hours away, Mobile an hour, a little less than an hour away. So we this it just seemed a nice central location that would offer us, you know, the lifestyle that we wanted. It was a little more laid back, but we could also, um, you know, get to different places pretty pretty fast and, and have other projects that we could kind of, um, you know, radiate out, that would radiate out from here.
2: So we, we had this idea when we were choosing this small town that's on the coast. Um, it is, it's a fairly progressive area in a very conservative state full of artists, full of educated people. We thought that with that combination and a little bit of uh, money in the area that we could start uh, our own direction and we could go down this path of doing things that we thought were the most appropriate things, um, bringing a, a diverse cultural understanding to an area that most people would think are little cottages by the ocean. And there are a lot of that. We thought there was probably a niche that wasn't being tapped and so by staying here for the first few years and doing projects in this area it allowed us to shine even brighter than had we been in another city so had we been say in Austin doing the things we were doing well we might get some recognition but there would be 20 other young firms doing the exact same thing And so it seems that by being a small firm in a small area, doing forward thinking projects that it's now allowed people and clients in other cities to see our work faster. And so now that's why we're getting called to do projects hours away. And while we're getting called to do projects along the coast, um, it's because we were able to craft this message. And it was easily seen. So, in hindsight, it uh, it has paid off. Now that has has taken lots of sweat and lots of long, long hours of not getting paid much money to make that work. <laughs> but now we are much happier, and we're doing projects that we like, and we're getting paid to do it.
1: And I would I would just reiterate that becoming part of the community in a fast way was has been hugely beneficial to us. I mean, I think we're being given opportunities here that um, We wouldn't be given elsewhere because we were able to kind of come in and meet the movers and the shakers. And and that would have been much harder in a larger city. Um, But we had some great connections here before we moved here and we've sort of parlayed those into, you know, a bit a larger network.
0: So you are working both on commercial and residential projects. Can you talk about your recent most recent project?
1: Sure when we started our firm we did mainly residential architecture after mark came from large commercial architecture and obviously i came from that more um from that art side of of things but when we started our firm, we were doing primarily residential because that's what people would hire us for. Um, you know, so we had to start working on those small projects and I would say just in the past year has our commercial work surpassed our residential work, um, which is something that we were really going towards. We both really, uh, we love commercial work. Um, and so I think if our firm had, you know, sort of a, if we had a goal for how that kind of morphed in the future, we would be primarily commercial and take on residential projects that just really excited us, um, you know, as well. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't take on much residential, but just, you know, specific projects. And so right now we have a couple of um, multifamily housing projects in the works. Uh, We have actually two of those, here in the area um, that are starting to happen and that's a direction we've been wanting to go in for a long time um, and that's finally uh, happening so that's really exciting to us. Um, We've got a great that our largest residential project to date is the slabs being poured tomorrow. So that's really exciting, but it was a project that, you know, the clients came to us and they pretty much gave us free reign as far as the design. So um, that's always a fun undertaking, you know, whenever a client really trusts you and, and, you know, allows you to use your creativity to the best of its ability.
2: So we have a great mixed-use renovation in Jackson, Mississippi, where we're taking a building that client bought that someone else had tried to renovate but they did not know what they were doing and they ran out of money halfway and so we are drastically altering the building and it's right in the heart of jackson it's in the most urban core Um, we're trying to create uh, an intriguing residential building with a retail space Um, it's going to be the client wanted a bold black shiny building to uh, Oppose all the other land buildings around it. So, by to go back to the messaging thing, if our message is to do things differently, well, she came to us because she knew that we would deliver a different, shiny, black, intriguing building, which is a very difficult thing to do in the South and make it ecologically friendly. And so, we're trying our best on that. And we have uh, another really cool project in Oxford, Mississippi. It's a really, really neat taco shop that's about to open. Um, It kind of has a Southern California vibe, really high quality ingredients, high quality drinks. Um, And so once again, I think if you look back over the last few years, just the projects that we've talked about, they all kind of go down the same path that a client came to us because they assumed we could deliver a different product. And um, we, we also have a lot of other houses in construction right now. Uh, that are also intriguing in their own right, um, but a house, I think to get back to your original question about the difference between a house and a commercial project, or the process between the two, um, a house, especially if it's on, say, a rural lot, the shape of it and the outside of it oftentimes doesn't matter. It's about how the family gets together on the inside, uh, and how the, say, the grandkids that are on the table, and how all those things flow together. Well, then if you take a house and you put it in a city, well, then it actually becomes an urban thing. And you have to worry about what it looks like on the outside and how it meets with its neighbors. And most commercial projects, you typically aren't dealing with those things. It's So we try to approach every project in a similar way, but a residential project is much more of a family-based inviting object.
0: It's more team. emotional. Yeah, it's much more emotional.
2: Oh, so sure. much more emotional. That's, yes. That's why they're really difficult, and that's why, unfortunately, a lot of designers don't mess with them, because you're dealing with raw psychological issues, and everything about it typically means something to the person paying for it, versus with a commercial building, it seems to us, in our experience, it's much more hands Not more hands-off, it's just more of a, a social vibe. And I think that's why we feel in the long term we're more drawn to commercial because it seems like you're designing things for the greater good. And you can, you can constantly have the argument to anyone that you're designing this because you want society to be better in some way. And, uh, residential, it's much more insular. Like you said, it's much more emotional. Do
0: you
1: feel like you have more freedom in uh, commercial project than residential? I would definitely say we have more freedom in commercial. Um, that's something that I think we're, we're seeing a lot more. I, I feel like we have had some amazing residential clients who have just trusted us, um, you know, a hundred percent. Um, and then obviously, you know, I feel like we've had some clients who, who we've had to, um, convince a little bit more, which is also just part of the, you know, part of owning a firm, you know, every client is going to be different, but as far as commercial goes, we've found that. It seems to be, at least right now, the kind of commercial we're working on, it seems to be a smoother process. Now, much harder as far as like planning, dealing with like the planning commission or the building department. I mean, that that process is a lot more challenging with a commercial project, but I think getting the client to trust you and let you make some big decisions seems to be a much easier sell in the commercial realm. And,
2: and it seems that, from our experience, the reason it's so much more difficult is because People think about things very differently if you're talking about, well, there are going to be 16 people sitting around a conference table. Where is the side table going to go? We're going to put the tumblers of coffee and water versus when I get out of bed in the middle of the night, how do I make it to the sink in the bathroom? Those are very different ideas, and people treat them very differently. Um, emotional is the best word, like you said. And like Madison was saying, to reiterate, that we've had some amazing residential clients that have really trusted us, that we've had to uh, take their ideas in and create the best products we can. But it is a very difficult process to create an amazing building that not only the clients love, but other people love too. It's, It's a very difficult process because every custom residence is a very specific, bespoke, unique, whatever word you want to say to these clients because it's their house. They want it to be perfect. And so creating something that other people can appreciate almost as much as the clients is really difficult versus in commercial, you're always going to make it as good for everybody. At least that's how we see it.
0: In the world of design, we constantly collaborate with so many people. Can you you talk to us about how you collaborate uh, on your own projects?
1: Sure. So we um, we approach every project knowing that we're going to have a team of different people, be it an interior designer or our engineering consultant, a contractor, the client. I mean, it truly is, you know, like a whole a, a group of minds coming together to create the best possible project. Um, and I think the way that we see it is everybody has their expertise. And so really relying on you know I think architects get a bad rap sometime as being uh, egotistical or you know my way or not at all. And you know we've tried to be the antithesis of that. So if we're collaborating with an interior designer, we understand that that interior designer, they're an expert at what they do. And that's why we're working with them on a particular project. So we want to give them the respect and as much freedom as we possibly can. Same goes for engineers. You know, like we did not go to school for any sort of engineering. So we really tend to let those people kind of take the lead on those parts of the project. And I think a surprising collaboration that we've found is just Incredibly important to any project is um, the collaboration between the architect and the contractor. Um, so, we have over the past few years really kind of n- narrowed our um, list of contractors who we like to work with down a little bit, um, or maybe we've actually broadened it in the way that we've searched out people who have um, sort of a similar mindset as far as you know, construction and design. And we work, we like to work with contractors who. Um, aren't afraid of doing something a little bit different, a little bit on the odd side, you know, if they haven't seen it before, they're willing to research it or whatnot. So I would say each project is a collaboration of many different fields. And we just try to show as much respect to, um, you know, our collaborators as possible, knowing that if we have, you know, great collaborators who are, you know, immensely talented. The project is just gonna be a hundred times better in the end if we let people, you know, kind of run with whatever they're excited about.
2: And if it's a project say that we have put together, we've searched out every single component from the landscape architect to the interior designers, to the engineers, to the civil engineer, um, just keep naming the acoustic uh, engineer, all those people. The way we've tried to approach it is, we're just the conductor and whether it's an orchestra or a train fill in the analogy but everyone's an expert now we might be at the front of that group taking all the heat from all the people all the people playing the instruments all the municipalities from the clients saying that it's too expensive saying the engineers saying that they need more space we're the ones at the front trying to take all that and make it into a, um, a synthesis. Somehow we have to take all these things and make it all work. And so when we all walk away from that project, the client is left with the, the best possible outcome for the best price, the most long-lasting project. And so for us, if we can step away from that conductor spot and say, this is what it was all about. Um, all these people had their voice in it and somehow it all came together in a holistic way Then that's how we see we've done our job the best.
1: I think too it um, you know creating those relationships with those different consultants interior designer um, engineer landscape architect contractor they all sort of feed back Together, as far as um, referrals and as far as business goes, I mean, you know, we've had a an interior designer bring us into certain projects before because the client didn't have an architect right away. That's a great way to kind of, you know, that's a somebody we already really enjoy working with, and that's kind of a great way to start a project in that in that manner. Same thing for landscape architecture contractors. We find to be a really great referral source as well. You know, um, especially if they understand what we're doing and they they get it. And you know, I think so being able to kind of see see what consultants or what groups are right for a certain project and kind of build your team. Um, is Building your team is really important.
0: Yeah, it, it is, particularly when you have um, a lot of your work outside of town or outside of state. So can you, uh, can you tell us how you manage, uh, you know, your project when it's kind of far away?
2: So far, when we have a project that's farther away than, say, an hour from our office, how we manage that is We create a schedule of when the project needs to be done. Um, In the beginning with the design, we stay very up-to-date with the client about design phases. Um, If we're building models or digital renderings, we'll either send them to the clients or make sure we meet that client. But then when it hits construction, we try to be on-site at least once a month. But in between those physical, traditional on-site meetings, we have learned to do FaceTime walkthroughs or Skype meetings with contractors and engineers. And it somehow seems like it cheapens the process. Like, well, if you're not on site, there's no way you can be up to date. And that's just not true. FaceTime is an amazing tool that we've tried to utilize to the best of our ability. And yes, it, it's never apples to apples versus actually talking face to face with someone but we're having this podcast right now and we're sitting in different states. So obviously it works and we try to use technology to the best of our abilities.
0: So I understand that humanistic design is very important to you, but I really don't exactly know what humanistic design is. So if you can define, that would be great.
1: Sure. So... So I think, you know, when we're talking about humanistic design, we're talking about design that's really centered around the user. Um, So thinking about how a user feels throughout the entire experience, um, you know, moving through a space, um, be it residential or commercial design, what the, you know, end user needs from that building or space or place to make them feel comfortable. And, you know, we do a lot of that through different different lighting studies, different massing studies, different material studies, you know, wanting to make sure that this is a place that a person is going to um, enjoy inhabiting. And so I would say that's what we mean by humanistic design. Um, I think it all starts sort of in the initial phases of, you know, just sitting down with a client and talking to them about what their needs are, what their wants are, um, a wish list. And then, really moving from there into the the planning phase, you know, specifically talking about a, if we're just talking kind of, you know, nuts and bolts into the floor plan, um, how do we kind of incorporate all of those ideas? How can we start to see in two dimensions how a person's going to inhabit a space, how they're going to move through the space, how they're going to interact with other people in different spaces? Um, so I would say that is how I view humanistic design. So
2: I... I guess I'm a humanistic designer because we design things for people. Um, Madison seems to approach things much more humanistically in the fact that it's about how things feel, metaphorically and physically, how materials feel and how a human may move through a space or how an outdoor space may be the most inviting or the most uh, cozy might be the right word. And those cozy, cute moments, they unfortunately are not the first thing that my brain goes to. It's more about the big, bold idea. It's about, is if especially if it's an urban building, is it going to stand on its own as a thing or are people going to appreciate it as a component? And I would say the humanistics thing about maybe like the portion about columns or handrails, all those things, those things come second for me. Well, I think they probably come first for Madison. And so that's why we work well together because she would probably say that if I designed anything on my own, nobody would ever go to it because it would be miserable and all made <laughs> of concrete.
1: And that's
2: why we do things together
1: I think we do I think it speaks a lot to our different personalities I have a much more emotional personality that I tap into when designing Mark has a much more practical and you know he's very literal about things so I think that you know when we're talking humanistic design I bring emotions into a project Um, whereas Mark can totally keep emotions out of it and that's something that we knew from the beginning you know I, I mean I can get really heated about a certain design element and he can too, but he kind of keeps it, you know, a little less, a little less emotional, like a little more in check. So I think that, you know, just just making sure that a user is having a a pleasant experience in our buildings is where humanistic design kind of starts.
2: And to speak to that emotion, I think that's probably why it's difficult for me a lot of times with residential work, to feel really, really ingrained. Uh, We've had great clients and we've been very lucky, but uh, you said earlier that almost every residential project is purely emotional. And that most of the time is not how I make critical decisions. I don't let emotions typically drive my critical decision-making processes. So if emotions are driving all those decisions, it's really difficult for me to think like that because inherently, I don't, and I wasn't trained to think like that. So that's why I think commercial oftentimes is, is easier for me to grasp, and I think that's why uh, I don't get bogged down as much.
0: Yeah, but I think the, the good, uh, the strength you both have is having each other, because you have no, one totally. company, two brands, you know, and um, two brands functioning differently, and that's the strength.
1: Yeah. Well, and I would say we even take that into how we deal with clients. You know, Mark and I have certain clients that we each uh, connect with more, I would say, and based on their personalities, you know. Um, so, so that also kind of comes into play and I think has been great because I'm not sure that I could deal with particular clients in a harmonious way all the time, and I don't think Mark could either, you know, so we each have people that we gravitate towards, we each have bring different things to meetings that are, um, it's all about balance, and um, it's a it's a very, very fine line that we, um, you know, kind of tiptoe along, but we're learning to really, kind of, we're learning how to do that a lot better. So I was talking about
0: the way you are thinking really uh, pushing boundaries and thinking outside of the box, I think the way you started your business is, I mean, we see you today established and you're having a, a growing and successful business. But when you started, uh, you didn't move into your own home but you built to show that. Exactly. I mean, of course it came down the road, but just tell us how you started.
1: Yeah, so whenever we moved here um, to Ocean Springs, I, before we moved, I told Mark, I said, um, why don't we just take the money that we have saved up, and we can go on a three month, you know, like around the world vacation, and I think this is where kind of like that emotion emotional side and that practical side really kick in and Mark's like, well, what are we going to do whenever we get back? You know, I wonder how, what are we going to live on? So we actually took that money and we invested it in our business. Um, and one of the first things that we did is we bought an Airstream. Um, and we, that was something that was very, um, unconventional to do I would say but I think it just added to our story so we bought this 1972 25 foot Airstream that just needed a total gut job and we did that ourselves so we really you know put in a lot of uh blood sweat and tears and literally all of those things and we um kind of made it our home and so it was 160 square feet and we ended up living in it for three years and six days and three sorry mark my Sabbath three years and six days and what that did for us is it allowed us to um, not put any money towards rent or a mortgage or anything to, towards a residential rent or a mortgage or anything like that. Um, and it allowed us to sink all of our money back into our business. So we put that money that we would have spent on, you know, typical living conditions. We put that, you know, into office rent and office equipment and, you know, just, some other things that we needed to pay for. And that was probably one of the hardest and smartest things that I would say we did. Um, It was a great talking point for people. People would, Most people would probably never do that, but they love to hear about it. So we were able to kind of craft that story and make that a part of who we were. We still get questions about it. It also allowed us to save up money to build our own house down the road. So, you know, I think, it kind of goes back to when we were talking about how, when we started our firm, we didn't have much to lose in the way of, we didn't have any kids and we didn't own a lot. We didn't have a lot of debt. So, um, you know, that was something we wanted to, to really capitalize on and to, to take advantage of not having a lot of strings and, you know, just not being super attached to much. And, uh, the living in the Airstream was quite an experience and, we would not take it back for anything, I don't think, but we might make it a little bit shorter if we could.
2: <laughs> so, within the first year of getting married, we moved to a new state, started an architecture firm, and then gutted and moved into a 160 square feet foot um, Airstream trailer in southern Mississippi. And all of that is a pretty uh, strange mixture, but like Madison said, it allowed us to focus on building the business we wanted to grow. And so like you said, and we feel like we were able to get there because um, at the age of 26 and 27, we decided to essentially sell everything that we owned. We had a giant apartment full of amazing furniture and art and books, and we decided to sell all of that or put it in storage boxes and essentially sit on it for three years because we knew that, we were doing this in a pay it forward concept we were we were putting in this all this time this money living in what felt like a beer can in the middle of a hot field sometimes um, because we didn't want to do projects that weren't going to be beneficial for us or beneficial for the city or clients we wanted to be able to say that these three years were worth something besides the romantic nature of living in an airship And whoever's going to listen to this podcast, if they've ever stayed in an Airstream or an RV for a few days, it is vastly different than living in one for three years. The romantic nature goes away real fast when it's 95 degrees or when it's 20 degrees. And those experiences that were very helpful for us. And so so just from um, an ergonomic standpoint, when we're designing a tiny space now, when you design 160 square feet and you design every volumetric inch of it to live in it as a house for three years, you have a very different understanding about what you can do with a small space. And uh, it's not just residential, it's commercial uh, about how, say you have a tiny commercial bathroom. Well, um, how do you make that the most hospitable place possible? Say you have a tiny commercial office. Well, how do you make that But just moving a window or just moving a desk, how do you make that the most hospitable place? And so those, um, that strange way to start also allowed us to, like Madison said, any small amount of profit we were making at that time, we could save. And by the time we were ready to move out of the airstream, we built our own house with cash. And so we don't have, and now moving forward, we don't have a mortgage that's now holding us down When, say, we have to walk away from a project because it's just not the right fit, or we we just don't pick on the right project, we try to do things in the most rational way, not letting money fully or the debt of money fully direct us on what we do, and so I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah, this experience really tells a lot about you both. This is really <laughs> amazing. Uh, so now we are going to almost, my last questions. would be, what suggestion would you do to young architects just getting out of an architectural school? Any advice for them?
1: Sure. So um, I think we would push people to consider starting their own firms at an earlier age. I think it's a lot I think you need, you know, some, some experience, but, you know, Mark and I had talked about going to grad school before we started our own firm. And I think starting your own firm is a lot like going to grad school. You know, you're just, it's trial by fire every single day. So um, I think if you can start, you know, your business, if that's something that interests you at an earlier age, then you have a lot less to lose because, you know, if you start your, your firm, you know, after you've already been at an architecture firm for 10 or 15 years, and you're licensed, and you, um, you have a lot holding you down, you know, hold, tying you to that firm or that place, and when you're young, you just don't have that much, that, that many ties, so um, I think that's something that we've learned over the years.
2: So we were invited to talk about this um, just a few weeks ago, about what it's like to start an architecture firm. And for us specifically at young ages, and um, what we've talked about is the fact that if you ever feel like you're ready to call the shots, and you're ready to take on the control, and you're naive to think that you're, uh, you're accomplished enough to do that, then the only thing you have left to do is to start your own business. And you're never going to get that experience until you do. You can I'm sure it's like raising a kid. You're never going to have the experience from just reading in books. You can read 50 books on starting a business and you until you do it for a month, you're never going to have the experience. You're not going to know. Mm-hmm.
1: We encounter a lot of people who are like, oh, in five, I'm planning on starting my firm in five years, you know, when I've saved up X amount of money, or I've done this, this and this. And, you know, it's just like, well, why wait five years? Sometimes there's a great reason. You have a young child or, you know, your spouse is in school, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I would just say like, you can, if you are giving yourself five years to wait on something, you're just going to keep pushing it back. Um, so that was something. And then I think another piece of advice we would offer would be to really create a community and create connections everywhere you go uh, and true connections, not connections that are, you know, self based in like a selfish um pursuit, but a true connection with people, you know, Valerie, I think, like, even how we wound up here talking to you is because I worked with Jamie, who works for you, um, you know, at Anthropology, and Jamie and I became friends, and so, you know, it just carries through, and so I think that um, we see that all the time, those kind of connections that you might just really enjoy speaking to someone, um, or being friends with someone, or working with them, but then it kind of, it they morph in such strange ways um, that it's, it's really kind of interesting to see where they like, you know, like where these leads come from or where different kind of um, projects kind of start.
2: And to add to that point, even though it feels really good to burn a bridge, like you just want to, you really want to tell this person off or you want to bury them and, you know, make them feel stupid. And you have all this built up anger it's the dumbest thing possibly you can do to burn a bridge when it's when you don't need to. And so professionally, especially when you're young, you feel like you're full of this angst. You feel like no one's listening to you. You, Every boss you have, you want to tell off, just don't do it. Just go home, exercise, take a nap, do something. Just don't do it. Um,
1: Mark and I still talk to old bosses. Um, I know Mark has a lot of great connections with his old old bosses from different firms who will call like, Hey, we have a project in this area. We need a consultant. Do you have a recommendation? Um, he just had an, an, um, a past boss from Jackson who asked him for some, um, recommendations on things on the the coast, you know, when he came to visit. So I think, yeah, keeping those, those people who sort of helped you get where you are, you know, keeping a, a good relationship with, um, those people is really important.
2: And to, uh, kind of redirect it to your original question about, you know, what advice would we give to a recent graduate per se? Um, I would say in hindsight, if you think you might want to do your own thing, don't take a job right out of school just because it's the only one you're offered. if, If your goal is to do your own thing, well, yeah, you do have a certain amount of intern hours, or if you're an engineer, you do have to pass the professional engineering exam and Um, If you're an interior designer, you have set interior intern hours. But there's so many other creative outlets. And Madison is a great case of she did not want to work behind a desk because she could not imagine being an architect who just clicked a mouse all day. And Unless
1: it was for our own firm. (laughs) Unless it was
2: for herself. And so that's how at the age of 26, after not doing a traditional path, She became a firm owner and that almost never happens. And so, well, and I guess to change it a little more, if you get out of design school and it's, you don't love it, it's not bad to go do other things. We know several people who went to design school. One is a a DJ. One is a graphic designer. Uh, It's taking the things that you've learned and running with them the best you can. And if it's becoming an architect, wonderful uh that's great that sounds stupid because we're encouraging competition but we found that the more we help other people we typically help ourselves
1: and i think too just having a um a design degree be it an interior design degree or an architecture degree a graphic design degree i think it allows you to look at um the world in a different way and that's something that um i think can take you on a lot of different paths and i also think people are um inherently impressed when you tell them that you have one of these degrees it, it just sounds kind of cool you know so they want to talk to you they want to be friends with you they want to hire you so that's something that I learned out of school is that just having um, you know that I went to architecture school on my resume was um, of huge benefit people just found that you know found that interesting
0: yeah I met a lot of uh, uh, architects that actually uh, evolve and become artists
1: Oh, so many, yes. Yeah, because
0: uh, uh, doing certain type of <coughs> art are really technical. So, mm-hmm.
2: anyway. Yeah. Going to design school, you're taught to see the world differently. And uh, as it relates to visual art, 3D art, it seems to be a pretty clear path that we know several people who started an architecture school but went to more traditional arts, whether it be woodworking or painting or sculpture. Um, once you're this is my experience. Once a person is taught how to see the world in a plane based, color based, compositional way, you can apply that to almost any aspect of life. And so if you get out of school and you can't think you can't take your interest and apply it to the traditional of design, well, then find a field that you can apply it to because you're going to be much more satisfied in life.
1: Mark and Madison thank you so much that was really a great time together thank you Valerie we really enjoyed it thank you for letting us just kind of ramble on about our different ideas I'll see you soon that sounds great thanks
0: thank you for listening to this episode of Texture and thank you to Madison and Mark Talley for joining me If you want to learn more about Madison and Mark Talley and what they do, visit their website at tallarc.com and follow them on Instagram at tall.arc. If you like this episode, follow us on Instagram at teachers.podcast and also on our webpage at valerilegras.com slash podcast. Do not hesitate to share it with your friends help support our creative community. Thank you for listening. A bientôt.